Thanks for joining me for another episode of Theology in the Raw. I have on the show today, John Mark McMillan. If you know anything about Christian music or especially the Christian worship music scene, then you probably know the name John Mark McMillan. And the, the reason why I had him on the show, it started simply because his, uh, I believe it was his publicist reached out and said, hey, would you like to have John Mark on the show? And I said, man, I would love to have John Mark on the show. Um, I, we have never talked before. We didn't know anything about each. I mean, I know just a little bit about him just because he's pretty well known in the uh, Christian music scene. Um, so, and you, you know about him, if you have sung the song, Oh, How He Loves Me, which was written by John Mark McMillan, uh, made popular. I think David Crowder did a version of it, uh, and, and made it super popular. But John Mark is a, an accomplished Christian musician, but as you'll hear, he doesn't necessarily love Christian music and he's had secular labels and, and done non quote unquote Christian songs too. So he's kind of has, has ridden the edge between the Christian world and just the music, the broader music world. And so I, d- I didn't know anything about John Mark going into this conversation. I actually had been to a concert of his and really enjoyed his music. I've always enjoyed his music, but I didn't know about anything about him as a person. And I have to say, I really was so impressed with his thoughtfulness, his authenticity, his rawness. Uh, <laughs> and so I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. We talk about one of the what, well, one of the things that really intrigued me in this conversation was his uh, thoughts on the intersection between money and worship in the Christian worship scene, and that was really interesting for, to to get it from somebody who is on the inside. And uh, I think you'll be um, I don't know what you'll be. Maybe you'll be upset. Maybe you'll be uh, excited. Maybe you'll be. Um, I don't know, somewhere in between. But uh, yeah, he he was honest. He said, hey, look, here's the kind of pros and cons of the intersection between, you know, commercialism and the worship industry. It was super helpful to get it from somebody who has uh, been in that environment. And I just love, love, love his thoughtfulness and authenticity. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or $25 a month or more. And in, in return, you get access to premium content. I spend about a third of my podcast and Theology in the Raw energy producing content and spending time on my Patreon page for my Patreon supporters. So if you're not a Patreon supporter, you're only getting two-thirds of the Theology in the Raw experience. <laughs> I think, is that what we do today? We kind of we tack the word experience onto anything and it kind of enhances the attractiveness of it. So anyway, there I go. Theology in the Raw experience. Join the, join the community if you want. You can go to patreon.com forward slash The Alden Raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month. Okay, let's engage this really interesting conversation between myself and John Mark McMillan. Welcome back to another episode of Theology Dura. I am here with a, a new friend we've never met in person. Uh, I, I've known him from a distance. I have no clue if he knows me from a distance or not. But I am here with a singer, songwriter, uh, worship leader, music writer, and uh, I'm going to assume Christian. We can get into your face. <laughs> John Mark McMillan. John, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure for sure. So I saw you in concert that I didn't even know you were going to be at. Uh, it was some, so, so we have this uh, out, I live in Boise, Idaho. 
and uh, we had okay. this uh, old state penitentiary where they have a lot of outdoor concerts. And you were there with yeah. um, two other artists who, um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on their names. Shoot. Um, probably Matt Carney and Need to Matt Breathe. Matt Carney. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. It. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Killer concert. So uh, I was like, dude, I didn't know John Mark was going to be here. But um, I think if I could say a lot of people probably know you for uh, not only your worship music, but also your songwriting in particular. Oh, How He Loves Me, which has been, I mean, obviously uh, one of the most, I, I don't know, do you have stats on it? One of the most widely sung worship songs in the last several years? Uh, no, I don't have any official numbers on it. Yeah. Yeah. But is that, pretty, what, <laughs> am I right yeah. to say that that is your most well-known song you've written or are there others that I, I think not? so, yeah. Okay. That's probably, cool. probably is, yeah. Let, let's uh, let's go back to uh, little John Mark uh, McMillan. Tell us about your upbringing sure. and what got you into writing uh, worship music and doing what you do now? Yeah, so I grew up, uh, my dad was a pastor. Um, he pastored a small church in a um, strip shopping mall here in Charlotte. Yeah. And so I grew up, you know, in church, going to school, just, I mean, super, I feel like super normal, <laughs> you know, like uh, I wasn't, I wasn't incredibly popular, nothing super special about me. Um, I like to draw. You know, I was into comic books and yeah. that kind of stuff. One day, a good friend of mine came over. I hadn't seen him in a while and he got out of the car. Um, he's probably 15. His mom dropped him off. He had a red Squire Stratocaster and a little PB Rage amp. And he came up to my room and he played me all these songs from the radio. And I already knew I was no good at sports. And I, just, <laughs> I decided that my illustrations were not going to um, help me with the girls. So... <laughs> I tried to convince him to teach me how to play all these songs on the radio. And of course he couldn't really teach me, but I dug up my dad's old Samick guitar and his little amp. And I started playing and I would buy magazines from the drugstore and learn how to play songs on the radio in the back of those magazines. So that's where music started for me. I didn't grow up in a very musical household. My mom was rumored to have sang and played the guitar, but I don't know that huh. I ever remember her doing that. Okay. My dad, occasionally I'd hear him in the morning strumming acoustic guitar, but that was like rare and, you know, yeah, not very often, you know, so not a lot of music in the family, really, as far as I knew. Um, so really, I uh, started playing the guitar and I just want to be a part of something. So I joined bands and yeah. played with people around town and um, not very excited about church, but it was a chance to play music. And so, okay. you know, they let me put the worship team and I think they were excited for me to do that because I looked like I was in the drugs, but I wasn't. Um, this is the nineties. So, you know, I wore the yeah. black nine inch nails t-shirt and I had the long nice. hair, you know, shaved underneath. Like it's kind of popular again, you know, yeah. but that was, you know, the, I was always my, jealous of that haircut. I always wish I could pull that off and it just wouldn't work for me. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that it worked for me either, but I did. It. <laughs> yep. So, um, I mean, just trying to find my way, you know, playing music. Um, and then I, something happened later on in high school where um, uh, a couple of my friends moved away and I decided like, I just don't care <laughs> about school. You know, you're trying to decide what to do with your life after school. And I'm like, I really just don't care about all the stuff the other kids cared about, mm -hmm. you know, um, at least I didn't think I did. And um, so I didn't know what I wanted to do, go to college or whatever. The college guy came to the house and was really manipulative, tried to give us a loan, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. You know, he pressed me. You got to know something. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. 
you know. Yeah. The, uh, the, the military called. I remember that guy calling two or three times just to talk to me. Super manipulative dude. I'm not anti-military, by the way. But this guy, looking back, I was like, man, if anyone ever talked to my kids that way, I would be irate. The way he was trying to manipulate me made me feel really bad about not wanting to be in the military and tried to tell me we have a band in the military. I, like, I can't remember what branch it was, you know. Yeah. I got friends in the military. Military is great, but, it, I, but, you know, it just felt like I was being manipulated. And so I didn't know what to do. Um, I started to develop what I thought was a love for God, you know, started to connect with um, the, a spiritual life, you know, as a young man. Mm-hmm. But I decided to go to a ministry school. It's time to figure out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately I wanted to play music, but I didn't feel like I was up to it. I mean, I didn't pick up the guitar till I was, you know, maybe 15. I didn't write my first song till I was 18, 19 years old. Okay. Maybe not even till I was 20, you know. I didn't sing until I was like 19, you know. And huh. then I didn't sing very good, you know. So um, I was in the ministry school and I, um, I really enjoyed it. I, I wanted to play on the worship team and, I guess, too, there's something real interesting going on in worship music back then in the 90s. There's the delirious and there's a sort of yeah. underground weird thing that I loved, you know. Huh. I don't think the, the same thing exists anymore like it did. Really? Like, just something. Yeah, not at all. Like, now, Like in the late, the late nine, mid to late 90s? or Mid to late 90s, yeah. yeah. There just wasn't, like now there's kind of a culture and there's a celebrity thing connected to it. Like there's nothing like, I mean, you know, for instance, like I remember my worship leader playing the sitar. And then switching over to the Marshall stack, you know, we had yeah. weird instruments. They played instrumental stuff and people danced for hours, you know, like it's just <laughs> doesn't, I don't, I'm, I've, I don't see that really anymore. Yeah. And, you know, so that was super exciting. Felt like something real exciting was happening. And I think I uh, connected in that sort of environment. Yeah. Um, and so I started writing worship songs because I wanted to be part of the worship team. And in my school, you couldn't be on the worship team if you didn't write your own songs. So I started writing my own songs. Nobody really cared for my songs. I think I ended up on the stage once or twice. Um, at that point, my dad had moved to a larger church, and that was the ministry that uh, had the ministry school. Um, he was part of that ministry. So I think because of my dad, I got some opportunities, but people didn't care mm-hmm. about the songs. Um, I went through a really difficult um, breakup at one point. I was super depressed for like nine months or something. Um, Hmm. I moved in with a friend um, and uh, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a relationship. His grandmother uh, was older and she needed to move to a sort of assisted living. And we moved in to just keep the house up, you know, so we had no rent. I think we paid the insurance and the utilities. And so other than that, I, I didn't have anything to do. So I'd stay up late at night, depressed and played songs. And I think that was the first time in my life that I wrote songs just to write songs, right? Yeah. Just cause, you know, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden people seemed to be, when I played those songs for people, people seemed interested, right? So I started um, uh, playing, I think I started writing more. I had some opportunities. I ended up playing at some worship conferences and, um, so I remember I'd written a song that some, I'd maybe led worship for, you know, like a hundred people ever, you know? Yeah. And someone heard one of my songs and uh, they wanted me to play this big worship conference. It's like 5,000 people there. I remember walking out on the stage and I could not make myself sing. The background singer started singing. I joined in on the chorus and all these people sang 
my chorus, the songs, the words I wrote, and I could feel it throughout my whole body. I was like, well, this is exciting, you know? Wow, yeah. So I, what's funny is like, I have never been attracted to Christian music, ever. <laughs> not in the slightest, and I'm not putting it down. Like, yeah. it just didn't interest me at all, you know? Yeah. There was this interesting thing happening in worship, you know, culturally that I was excited about. Even then, I didn't really like worship music, you know? But I wrote songs because it was exciting and there was something going on and people were interested in them, you know? So even some of my, um, well, I'll say this, like I, I originally released my first records just because people kept asking for the songs, you know, they're like, whose song is that? It's like, well, I wrote it. They're like, where can I get it? It's like, well, nowhere, I guess. I mean, so I recorded the song, most of the songs, cause there was a demand for the songs initially. I had no idea you could make a living. I mean, I knew people did it, I didn't know if you had to sign a record yeah. deal or what, what do you do, you know? Yeah, yeah. I knew people did it. Um, and so slowly more and more, I sort of, um, not that it was unintentional, but it was sort of like early on, there was a demand there and people were interested in the songs, you know? Yeah. And so I, I just kept doing that. I mean, that's a long story. That was almost 20 years ago now. So there's wow. been a, you know, 20 years between then and now. Yeah. So, there have been ups and downs and things, but there was never like one moment when I was like, oh, I've made it. It was more like just kind of hard and you struggle and you do better and you yeah. struggle some more. Things get harder. You struggle some more. You make it. You know, you, uh, early on, um, I, th there was a point in my wife and I left our jobs. I so decided we'll just do this music thing full time, you know, and we had a little bit of savings. And I said, if we ever touch that savings, I will go get a job. And we never had to. We sold CDs out of the trunk of our car and on MySpace you know, oh, yeah. and then slowly people got more and more interested in, in the music. And it was really funny because I wrote like the Howie Love song probably in the early 2000s. Okay. And so I played that song for a few years and we were like in, I feel like this doesn't exist anymore. Maybe I'm just like out of it. But I feel like there used to be a moment when you could play all different types of songs. They had Christian festivals like Cornerstone. We had all yeah, the types yeah. of artists there. I feel like there is no room for to be an artist anymore in the yeah. commercial Christian space, which is fine, you know, but there was back then, you know, and so, so I was singing the worship songs and doing my other thing. And by that point, I, I stopped playing how he loves years before it became popular huh. and that, you know, people liked it. I started playing it again. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, by the way. Well, no, no, I, you, you've touched on this a couple of times and it's mm -hmm. super interesting to me. Like what, what has happened then from, I guess, According to your narrative, I mean, the, 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 the late 90s, more artistic, more genuine, less commercialized, if I can say that, to now the celebrity culture, the com commercialization yeah. of kind of the worship or Christian industry. Like, can you, I would, mm -hmm. can you drill down a bit deeper there and, and unpack kind of what is carrying that, what's causing it, what's shaping it? And Yeah, totally. And by the way, I don't think everything was just super pure in the 90s. You know, so, everything yeah. is a mixed bag, right? Everything's sure. a mixed bag. But I think what's happened is... Um, in the 90s, you could be, you know, towards the end of the 90s, when the internet started to rise to the point where you could post some music online and you could market through the internet. You know, I could, I could book shows through MySpace, you know, and then eventually yeah. through Facebook. So all of a sudden you could be an independent artist. You could print a thousand CDs and then I could go out and sell a hundred CDs a weekend and make $1,800 off those CDs. You know, that doesn't exist at all. Nothing like that exists anymore for young artists, you know. So, you know, you could sell, it, it was not difficult to sell. Like I, I had friends, um, I had a friend who used to go out on the weekend 
and sell 5,000 CDs a weekend. Really? I don't know that so that was average, but like he would, yeah. he would easily sell a thousand CDs a weekend, yeah, easily, yeah. and wow. no record label at all. Okay, so wow. the CDs disappear, and so that money isn't there anymore. Um, so sort of the what happens, and I'm not against this because this is you can't you can't fight the tide, right? Yeah. But so what happens is you know when there's a lot of money here and the money goes away, like imagine a pyramid, right? When the money starts to go away, it's not the people on top that go. They, you know, it's the people on the sides. Yeah, so yeah. the artists on the fringe who don't fit, all of a sudden, like, you know, they can go out, sell a few hundred CDs on the weekend, and like, you can have a career, you know, yeah. like make a few grand on the weekend. You know, you split it up with your band, you know, you pay yeah. your travel, your hotel, whatever. You know, or if you get big enough, you can get, you know, ticket sales cover you and then you can make money off the CDs. That's the way it used to work, at least the way I, I remember it. Um, okay, so when the money is gone, when sales cease to be a thing, yeah. um, you know, it's not the guys on top that suffer. It's sort of like the people in the fringe. And so like all this sort of thing that doesn't quite fit here, doesn't quite fit there. All of a sudden there's no budget for them at all. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're gone. However, the, you know, the people in the more established areas, there's, um, there's still more for them to do. They can make more off streaming. There's licensing opportunities. But I think in the worship community specifically, like CCLI, which mm -hmm. I really appreciate the CCLI guys. I don't know if you know much about them, but Christian Not copyright really, licensing. Yeah. Yeah. So in the United States, um, it's pretty similar throughout the world, but it, it's different a little country to country. But in the United States, when you write a song by sort of your given god-given right you own that song it's yours because you wrote it unless someone hires you to write it and even then there's a portion of it you own right that's just your god-given it's it's yeah. yours intellectual property right okay so when anywhere you hear music in a public place uh someone has bought a license to play that music so if you're in a coffee shop if you're in a restaurant you know it's, if you ever go to a restaurant you'll never hear anyone sing happy birthday because it's it's owned by somebody and they don't have the license they don't want to pay for a license to sing happy birthday right but they they pay for license they pay bulk licenses with these big companies um there are these companies that independent companies that collect right that are not owned by the record labels or anyone like that uh, performance rights organizations who collect for artists so Anytime your music is played in public, you're supposed to be somehow reimbursed for it. And people will buy these big licenses, mm -hmm. you know, so that they can have music in their restaurants and their shops and their stores and okay. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So church is no different. Like you're taking up a collection and you're playing music that's owned by other people. You know, you should, you know, do the right thing, the legal thing and, and pay for that license. But it's, it's, it was, up to a point it's more complicated in church, you know, and nobody, especially if you're a believer and you're writing music, like they're really hard to sue a church. You have to, I mean, you have to be a, a certain kind of individual to sue a church. You know what I mean? Someone who's like giving money to the poor and, you know, taking food to ladies who just had babies and like trying to, you know what yeah, I mean? You gotta yeah, be yeah, some yeah. sort of type of person to sue a church, but you know, so nobody does it. And I don't know that anyone wanted to or even thought much about it, but and especially because sales were such a big thing. I don't know if people thought much about it. Mm -hmm. um, but they create this, this company, CCLI. They have this licensing 
where a church is by a license depending on the size of the church. So if it's a small church, it's very little. And if it's a huge church, it's a lot. But honestly, if you're bringing in 60 grand a weekend, a hundred grand yeah. a weekend, playing songs that I wrote, like, I'm like, I think my kids need a little bit of that money for college. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It was a teeny little church. No one cares. But so that money, and I, pre, I, I this sounds negative. I don't want it to sound negative because yeah. CPLI is a really good company. They're such a good company. They've done so well. They've helped artists in the worship space make a ton of money. So much so okay. that when sales disappeared, all of a sudden people started looking for other opportunities. And now they look at church because there's so much money to be made in church worship. Ah. And I mean, millions of dollars, right? Really? That's why, yeah, that's why all the big Christian artists do worship songs now. They do worship albums. They do their version of a worship record. And my worship songs are so big on the radios because all the money, um, I know this is real like nuts and bolts and not super sexy, but yeah, you know, it'd be more fun if it was a more spiritual principle, but really it's just sort of like, I don't know. It's just sort of where the money is. And so unfortunately money tends to drive uh, expression, which there's a yeah. major danger with that in church, you know, because yeah. our worship songs supposed to tell you what you want to hear. They're supposed to challenge you or, you know, yeah. so if they challenge you, that's tough because all of a sudden, you know, I need you to like my songs. I need all these churches to play my song so that yeah. I can make the money. Because if a few churches play it, it doesn't make a difference. But if every church plays it, it's a big mm -hmm. deal. So I need to make sure nothing I say offends any one of those churches. Yeah. You know, you start thinking that way, even subconsciously. And yeah. that's sort of what has created, you know, the um, sort of culture we exist in right now. And I don't want that to sound cold or... Well, it is what it is. You know? I mean, it is, it yeah. is what it is. It doesn't mean there's not really great things happening in that. I don't feel yeah. fully connected to that world, to be honest. I'm somewhat connected. But day to day, I think of myself as an artist. I don't really think of myself as a worship leader or a Christian musician. Okay. You know? So that, that, this is super fascinating. Let me, um, and, and from the outside looking on, I mean, I, I knew just, I've got a lot of friends in Nashville yeah, yeah. Where, I, where I thought you lived in, in, in the... Uh, uh, do you know Phil LaRue? He's a good friend of mine. And um, several, uh, Audio Feed. The, the Audio Feed was the music festival that picked up when Quarterstone folded. And so oh, yeah, been, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, so I've been involved with Audio Feed oh, for that's the last great. five years as a speaker, not as a musician. I, I don't know how to play yeah. anything at all or sing. <laughs> um, but I have a lot yeah. of friends who are in that world, so I, I do get kind of glimpses into it. But, uh, yeah, from the outside looking on, so if I let me just try to summarize this. And this might sound creepier than I – <laughs> then, then the question in death I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to ask like a you know make a point with a question mark but it so what you're saying is that when the the money was starting to dry up with people on the fringe and yet at the same time there was created a way to make money not just by doing christian music but specifically by pursuing worship music and hoping hoping you kind of get a song to gets hit yeah that 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 there has been again right or wrong we can critique it or you know celebrate it um there has been over the last what decade or two a financial motivation as a christian yeah. artist to focus on worship music whether or not you're even really interested in intrinsically in in, in creating yeah. worship music is that is that too yeah definitely i i, yeah. I don't think that I, I think that most people who are out there doing it like really are uh, enjoy it you know have some yeah. sort of passion for it. I don't feel like it's people who just like see this as a way just to make money. Cause honestly, it's not easy. That's for sure. Sure. You know, you got to write songs and they got to be believable. It's you got to be one heck of a songwriter to write believable songs that you don't believe, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. So, like, and with um, all the competition, with all the competition out there now, yes, it, it, I'm sure it's raised the bar quite a bit. I would totally. think. Or, um, although yeah. is it? Uh, and again, this is a, from an outside perspective, but what makes a good worship or what makes a worship song become really popular? Is it really? Oh, that sounds cynical. Just that. <laughs> is it the quality, the the artistry, the depth of the song, or is it just the masses happen to like it and it actually maybe took five minutes to write and has no thought and it just ended up taking off? Or is it kind of a both and? And I can speak so, so I'm a writer and yeah, I know yeah. some books totally. that are new that are just take off. I'm like that is a that person doesn't even know how to write. They just have a platform, yeah. and, you know, some idea that isn't even that original. And other other books are like, no, that's actually a really high quality book. That's why it took off. So in the writing world, I'm sure it's in every sort of artistic yeah. world. You, you have kind of a both and of high quality stuff taken off and just other stuff that just the masses love it for whatever reason. And yeah. It off. Um, well, I've kind of learned that those two things aren't really connected. We really want to, especially when you do something you love and you do it really well. You want to think if you write an awesome book, if you write one of the greatest books, it's going to be successful because it's great. But that's not really true. Like Malcolm Gladwell talks about, you don't have to be the best in your field to be the most successful. You just have to be good enough. You still have to be really, really yeah. good. Right. But you have to be good enough and you have to have a high um, emotional or social um, intelligence, right? Yeah. So you can yeah. get by with a high social intelligence and not be the absolute best in your field. Um, I guess what I'm saying is like, I used to think like if I write the best song, then that's what's gonna, I'm gonna make it because I wrote a great song. And I'm realizing that it's two different skill sets almost, you know? So there are a lot of songs out there that I think are just out there because they got good placement and the person performing them is believable. And honestly in church, a lot of times it's, it's connected to some greater message or story or something, yeah. you know? Um, and there's that thing where you just can't always know, like, and I'm terrible with this. Like I almost didn't put how he loves on the record that it was on. You know, my wife is like, you have to put that song on the record. I'm like, I don't know if it fits, you know, and that song became a huge song. And then the song Saver and I wrote recently, that's become a big song, King of my heart. Like it wasn't yeah. my favorite song when we were in the writing process. I was like, do you like, she liked it. You know, and and she liked it. She wasn't incredibly passionate about it either. After we recorded it, we realized, okay, there's something kind of neat about this song. You know, but I never expected that song to take off and be a huge song. I definitely don't dislike it, but not for a minute did I think, oh, this is going to be a big song. I don't think she sure. did either. So, like, I don't really always know. I do know there are things that keep a song from being a big song, you know. What, what are those? Yeah, what are those? What are those? Well, for one, like, I think songs in the worship space are supposed to be really easy to play. Cause if you think about it, like most churches are small and have voluntary volunteer um, musicians. Right. So yeah. we think of churches like the big mega churches, but they represent such a tiny percentage of like actual church. Right. Huh. Most yeah, churches yeah. are like, un most churches are under 500 people. Right. You know, so, um, you know, they have a voluntary um, uh, musician, you know, who aren't so great. So if the songs are easy, they're more likely to play the songs. Okay. And so there's a huge push to make every worship song as easy as humanly possible because it'll get played more, you know. Yeah. And this sounds really, this sounds really dirty, you know, but honestly, all music is like that. All music, <laughs> all music is like it, you know, like yeah. sort of on the radio, like they, secular music, just straight up secular music on the radio. They're like, all right, 
we need the chorus to come in within this many seconds of the song starting. We need this much instrumental at the top in case the DJ has, DJ has to say something. You can't have too many hooks because we don't want to confuse people. And when the song needs to be done by two minutes and 50 seconds or something like that, wow, you know, yeah. it can't go longer than that. Um, you know, we can't have a long instrumental portion. You never hear that anymore because people change the channel and the instrumental port. You know, like, so it's really interesting how mathematical music music can be and i still love music you know but it's sort of a i guess that's the problem when you start digging into the sociology yeah. of music and we're even worse and then especially worship music it starts to sound gross but it's not really i mean you know everything sort of has a reason yeah you know? but i, mean, I, so I don't want yeah go ahead go ahead i mean i am a guy who believes in the holy spirit like i'm a believer in that sense and so maybe and hopefully there are times when you know I feel like maybe, you know, uh, the spirit wants to hear yeah. something or there's just something that the people need to say, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and that happens. You know, I have to believe that that's real. You know, yeah. I think it is, you know, so I don't want to sound jaded. I just, it's the conversation a lot of people don't want to have because it sounds so, it's like talking about the mechanics of kissing or something like, yeah. why would you ever yeah. talk about that? Just do it. But yeah. it's really interesting to me, you know. So yours, you said, but the 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 music you thrive in is the more artistic, creative, thoughtful, in depth, not Christiany. You, you made reference that you don't actually your your natural love is not toward the typical kind of Christian uh, music. So how would you describe your your love and well, passion um, outside of like writing worship songs? Well, in Christian music, okay, so there is a there is definitely a. Um, people want you to say something. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all want to say something, otherwise why are you writing? But they want you to say something specific. So like, I like to think of music in these terms, like there's, there's a spectrum. It's not like everything goes in one category or the other, you know, but you sort of have in one category, you have like uh, commercials, you know, like TV commercials, um, the intros to a show or a podcast. You have like, um, educational music you have you know um political propaganda you know what i mean like in one yeah. side you have like music that like only exists to try to help people think a certain way it only exists to push um an agenda or um and in, you know it only exists to move a message forward essentially you know on the other end of the spectrum you have music that like you know that i try to write you know i'm not saying i don't have that and i guess we also yeah. dip our foot in, in the water you know and then there can be commercials that are so creative that they sort of yeah. yeah deserve to be considered art you know so like you can't just say but you know this the music i'm interested in like i want to feel like the artist is writing it uh because the music deserves to be written you know they it's like they have something to say that they have to say so they say mm -hmm. it not that they feel required to say a thing or not I guess in, on one side, people want to tell you something. On the other side, an artist wants to invite you into a conversation, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's hard to know when that's happening. So in, in the Christian world, like, it's easier to get by. You can get people excited in the different places, the radio and the big churches and the big organizations. Um, it's not altogether different in the general market either. But, you know, if you sing a song about – thing they want you to you know say it's like easy to get on because all of a sudden you're the soundtrack you're basically you know i don't want to call it propaganda because that feels dirty but honestly people do it out you know in all yeah. types of music you know like 
you're gonna go sing about something write a song about you know like right now like with politics it's just sort of like everyone's wow. writing political songs i'm like do you really care i know people do i was like <laughs> but a lot of you don't a lot of you don't a lot of you are just like okay. saying what you need to say to like be yeah. heard you know what i'm saying and like yeah, yeah. so it gets really complicated and it's not people want to act like Christian music is terrible, but I'm like, it's just like everything else, you know, and you, you can yeah. make it what you want. It's not like music in the general market is all more pure. Yeah. It's just sort of like everyone's trying to make it and there are people who are artists and you make compromises, you know, no matter what. And you just sort of decide what your compromises are going to be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But so the, I, I guess to me, that's the difference in art and propaganda though. It's propaganda is more like a commercial. And I like, and people really like, and I don't want to put them down. I feel terrible because I love a lot of these people, but it's sort of like, I don't want to write commercials for Jesus. Like, I just don't yeah. want to do that. To me, it doesn't work, you know, because it's based on something that I think is, is antithetical to the kingdom. It's sort of like, if I have to sell you Jesus, then like, you don't got it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if I've got to pitch Jesus to you, then like, I'm sorry. It's yeah. not, it's not Jesus if I have to pitch it. If I have to yeah. like, like we were talking earlier about how like there's so many really attractive worship leaders now it's real popular to have like a super attractive worship leader you know but i was like you know if you've got to like you know like if if you gotta like if that's how you gotta bring me into the fold then it's not working because that doesn't last right. and i'm not gonna last either i'm being yeah. really harsh right now you know <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, yeah, this is called theology in the raw. So, it is raw. So you're, you're, you're not, uh, you're not being harsh enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a friend who yeah. says, and he's probably quoting somebody famous, but I got a friend who says that um, the kingdom that comes, or the kingdom, oh, the kingdom that comes is the way it comes, or the way a kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. Huh. The way a kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. So. If we, you know, if we win by money and power, then then the kingdom is money and power. It's not right. the kingdom of God, right? If we win yeah. by influence, we end by like sexy singers. You know what I'm saying? And then it's yeah. like, sure, it's the kingdom of sex, right? It's not the kingdom yeah. of God. It's a different kingdom. Well, that's you know? a, I mean, that's a huge problem. I mean, maybe, maybe it's, yeah. uh, it's like you said, I, I appreciate you said it's, you know, it's evident in the worship arena, the Christian music arena, but it's, that's yeah. just true of any kind of arena. I mean, it's in, it's, it's true. In everywhere. Pre it's in yeah. preaching, it's in teaching, it's in writing, it's in, you mm -hmm. know, we are all trying to, we, we, we all fall short of promoting and embodying this sort of upside down mm -hmm. kingdom yeah. uh, ethic and flavor of what we're doing, you know, where power structures are supposed to be turned upside down and, and we follow a, a crucified Messiah who is mm -hmm. crucified for treason against the state. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, who said, pick up your cross and follow me and die to yourself. And like, I don't care how sexy your worship leader is. Uh, <laughs> there's not going to be a, a genuine conversion until people realize the, the radicality, the impossibility of what it means to follow yeah, yeah. a first century Jew who claimed to be God, who was crucified totally. by Rome for treason. But um, can you let's let's go back? Can you tell me a bit about your 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 faith or even theological journey? What, what's that? Sure, sure. Side? Sometimes we forget that worship leaders are, I mean, Christians who have their own you know wrestling with God throughout their life. So what does that yeah. look like for you the last twenty years? Totally. So I grew up in a very uh, charismatic tradition, um, okay. which is funny that you could say charismatic tradition, but I think 
you know, yeah. it's old enough, you know, so it's, and, yeah. and the, and the charismatics, um, are very, and their tradition is anti-tradition, but right. they have their, we have our own tradition. Yeah, you know? Everybody has their tradition. I know. And that's why like, yeah. you know, the common thing is we don't have religion, you know, I'm like, yeah, but yeah, you're, it is, it is though. It's religion so, is, yeah. religion is a spiritual practice. What are yours? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, and I'm not putting them down cause I still am, you know, part yeah. of that world. Like I consider myself to be one of them, you know? But I grew up sort of the charismatic non-denominational world. And um, it was great. I mean, there's a lot of superstition in that world, you know, like don't read Harry Potter books and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, and, and just like much of uh, mainline evangelical uh, cultures, you know, there was, you know, there's some, you know, like certain uh, ways of thinking and doing things that is sort of pitched to you as being kingdom, but isn't necessarily the kingdom. Yeah. You know, I think it's true with all traditions, you know, and, um, but, um, but overall, like I, it was, I really liked it. It was experiential, you know, so faith was yeah. first experience. I think that is Richard Rohr who talks about faith comes by experience, tradition, and what was the other one? Say scripture. Yeah. <laughs> Probably scripture. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, f faith reason scripture tradition maybe something like that yeah. yeah yeah and so you know so but experience is a big deal you know and i feel like i experience god in mm -hmm. legitimate ways and you know people really put down the world of the faith healing world you know and not that i ever like so my dad is uh he loves to pray for people to be healed and he says he's mm -hmm. seen healings and i believe it you know I've known him long enough. I've no reason to doubt him. And he hasn't made like a ton of money doing it, you know, like, yeah. you know, um, and there's so many stories. It'd be really interesting to go talk to those people and, you know, but um, there's been a lot of abuses in that, you know, yeah. um, and, and, you know, but I grew up in sort of that experiential world, you know, where sort of we expected yeah. God to do things. Um, and I really loved it. I think that um, as I got older, I, I, I realized that, um, that, you know, there are strengths and weaknesses to every stream of Christianity, I think. And one of the weaknesses of the charismatic movement that I was connected to was that they don't encourage or appreciate process very much. And uh, it seems like spiritual transformation is mostly a process. Yeah. yeah. You know, and like we want to be healed like immediately and people pray for money. And God, I can't put that down. Like, I remember times when we didn't know how to pay the bills and someone would give us some money, <laughs> you know, we didn't ask for, I mean, you know, like yeah. I would pray and that kind of things would happen. I mean, did it happen because I prayed? I mean, was God already going to do that? Or I don't know, yeah. chicken or the egg. I don't really know. You know, yeah. Yeah. was it, uh, um, but, um, you know, so I don't want to put that down, but there's, there's definitely like this. I, I, I think as I grew older, I realized like, Oh man, my life isn't going to be fixed or maybe fixed is the wrong word. My life isn't going to be completed by something that happens in a moment. Right. Like my life is a trajectory and it will become and will continue to become whatever it's going to be daily based around my practices as an individual, you know, yeah. which I want to believe. And I do is um, influenced by outside spiritual um, things, you know, and, um, I hate to take all the magic out of the spiritual life, you know, like, mm -hmm. 
Um, but a lot of it is a process. So I think that was something for me, you know, over time that um, weighed on my theology, you know. But then also I grew up with the like, hey, we're, we're right and we're going to win. We're going to rule the world theology, you know. <laughs> You know, yeah. like the, we need Christians in every level of government, business, the arts, mm. you know, and early on, I was like, I'm going to be in the arts mountain. I'm going to rule for Jesus from the arts mountain, you know, and I thought people needed my music or they were going to die. You know, looking back, you know, it's like that's so antithetical to the kingdom. And it's yeah. just like a terrible way to make music and live right. a life. Um, but it was for me to feel like God, like God needs me. You know what I mean? Like, if I don't do it, God's in trouble without me. Like, how much pressure can a person live under? Yeah. You know? When did, um, that shit, when did you start to shift your thinking? Was that just over, over time where you started to stop kind of pursuing this kind of, I guess, for lack of better terms, this power kind of driven Christianity? You know, it's, I, it, it was over time. Honestly, it wore down over time. A lot of people, especially now, you know, I know the past few years you don't hear it as much anymore but for a long time you heard a lot about deconstruction you still do yeah. Yeah. But, you know deconstruction was like from like i heard that word every day in from 2015 to you know yeah. 2017 it's fine I, i'm not putting down the word but you know but before you know i didn't have this most of the people i know talking about deconstruction had this like moment i never yeah. did in fact church always treated me well yeah. people in church I mean, you have conflict because it's human beings, right? But churches always treated me well. They played my songs. They took care of me. Like the people who were the closest to me, who I would trust, you know, if I was in jail and I had my one phone call or if I was like in the hospital, like I would call those people, you know, like, yeah. so like I, I, I never got like hurt in church or like turned away, but I just felt less and less connected to that sort of message. You know, yeah. and I guess, too, I had a bit of a faith crisis. I really don't know when it started. I, I think it's it began probably back in 2007. You know, I just started to ask myself questions I hadn't asked because I was so insulated in the, this Christian world that these other questions didn't come up. Whenever they did, they're immediately shot down. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and people get very uncomfortable. It's like you go into church and you start talking about doubt. All of a sudden, it's very uncomfortable because, like, hey, we we got a show to run, you know? We <laughs> got to like put this on. Yeah, you can go do your doubting after the show. Right? Yeah, yeah. Please, let's let's doubt later. Like, and I mean, uh, they're they're good people. They're really good people. We're not talking about. Yeah. You know, there are there are probably some you know sociopaths out there, but very few of them. You know. Very few of them. Most of them are just really kind, well-meaning people who are just trying to keep keep it going, trying to pay the staff, trying to pay their bills. And the, like, I do get a little frustrated growing up with a pastor for a father. Like when people talk about how pastors are just about money, I'm like, no. have you ever considered doing this for a living? I was like, do you know how much money most pastors make? It's very little. Most pastors have to work multiple jobs. You know, they just see the top you know, 1%. Mega church pastors. Yeah. Mega church pastors and the big writers. And they think that like, you know, that's what, you know, pastors are trying to do. I'm like, it's just not true. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah, but slowly I, I had a, a faith crisis that kind of snuck up on me because I was outside of church and I was trying to live um, 
you know, I have, I've had a problem, a little bit of a problem with sort of the worship music and commerce. And so for a while, it's like, I'm just going to do my music outside of church, just so there won't be that temptation, you know? And the truth is people in church love my music. And so after a while, I was like, this is really kind of mean for me to like refuse to play at churches just because of my issues. You know what I mean? I, I just need to be a grown up and work this out of my heart. Right. But um so so you pursued with yeah. secular labels or just kind of left the church yeah for a little so bit? i was like okay. i'm just gonna play clubs and theaters and we're just gonna yeah. live outside of church and we're just you know okay. um just because i don't it, i felt a little bit gross you know um and then i, I think i grew up a little bit and it's like okay like i'll play my music for anybody who wants to hear it i'm just gonna be grateful that people mm. love my music and it but it wasn't that i was an anti-church guy i didn't like church or church wasn't cool yeah. You know, but it was like, man, this, how does commerce and worship, how do I yeah. do this without the two touching? It's like, well, you know, maybe I just got to figure it out inside myself. You know, I was pretty idealistic back then too. But when I got outside of the church, I started bumping into all sorts of conversations that I didn't have real answers for, you know, and mm -hmm. gosh, you know, we had kids, I had um, relationship issues with guys in my band some of my closest friends you know we went through some hard things and i think over time they just started creating these new conversations where it's like hey i need to maybe i need to rethink this another big thing was i grew up with some pastors who it wasn't my dad but some pastors who i kind of idolized you know and gosh when i was young i thought I, I i thought they were like superheroes i mean i thought they were actually superheroes like i thought they could do superhero things and couldn't for a moment imagine them being wrong about something mm -hmm. you know and that was terrible and that's one problem i have with sort of the more authoritarian approach to yeah. um church is that i'm like man they, they you end up shielding yourself um you know really to prop up your brand sometimes you know and i'm sure i do the same thing there's certain things when i on my worst days i don't want publicized but i guess there was a breakdown with these two pastors. I'm like, at least one of you is wrong. Turns out, I think looking back, they're probably both pretty wrong about a number of issues. But I was like, oh, if you're wrong about this, what about all these other things? You know? And I started jumping in things I just believed, you know, without asking or without thinking hard about it. I was like, I need to like revisit this stuff or visit it for the, even the first time, you know? And so yeah. on my way back up, I feel like I, I, I constructed a much different type of faith than I had on the way hmm. down. So you yeah. went through the deconstruction, reconstruction. Uh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I mean, Richard Rohr talks about the, you go from order to chaos back to yeah. order. You know? yeah. And God, I'm so glad I'm back in order. The chaos. Yeah. Some people, so live, hard. some people live in the chaos. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, there are those days where I'm like, I don't know if I believe in God, but every person out here has come to me because they want me yeah. to like channel the Holy Spirit you know, like yeah. shaman, the Holy spirit for them. And I'm like, I don't know if I believe in God tonight during those, you know, during those, uh, that season, you know, but here I am. And what's funny is God was still channeled. <laughs> Apparently he doesn't depend on me, which that was pretty great. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I realized God doesn't depend on me for that. I was like, ah, God doesn't depend on me for anything. This is a beautiful yeah. way to live. Yeah. And God does not depend on me, you know? And, yeah. um, there's a lot of freedom in that. He doesn't even depend on me to figure out how to believe, yeah. you know, sort of like, I, I feel like I can just enter into the process and that's enough. Right. Yeah.
Yeah. You know, and so looking back and rethinking all these things, you know, I think I actually see faith as a different thing now. You know, um, I like where I'm at. And I do. I, I consider myself a believer. You know, I like, you know, maybe a couple days out of the month, I'm an agnostic. But most days I'm a believer. And some days I feel like I'm God's best friend, you know. Hmm. So I mean, that, that, that's, that's probably how <laughs> most people... That's probably how most people actually feel. They just don't yeah. admit it because, yeah. again, they sometimes we don't have space in church to wrestle out loud. I mean, if, gosh, if you if if you look at all the so-called saints in the Bible and looked at, yeah, I mean, look, you got like Peter took him two years of walking with Jesus before he, you know, came to Jesus and said, "I think you're the Messiah," you know, and then. A few yeah. months later, he denies that he even knows who Jesus is. You know, like that's not yeah. just wrestle with doubt. That's like flat out radical atheism for that moment. And then he came back and he's a leader of the church and so on. And that's pretty typical of the honest, the honest Christian life. So no, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, we're about out of time, but you, you, uh, yeah, you yeah. had a, a Christmas album that uh, yes, did I do. come out. Yeah. What, what's the date of that uh, release? It's out. It came out about a week ago. Oh, so, right on. Okay. So we're recording the, this uh, December. Yeah. I think it's the fourth. So it, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's out. Yeah. Cool. It's what? out. Now, what is that? Uh, fresh songs? Are you covering uh, traditional Christmas songs, both and, or what's that album? It's both about? and. So okay. it's actually sort of like um, about one third new songs, okay, one third traditional songs, and then one third songs that aren't Christmas songs that I decided to make into Christmas songs. Okay, so, right on. Songs like um, uh, "Make You Feel My Love," the Bob Dylan tune. Um, my buddy Andy used to always play it around Christmas. And uh, I just think that sounds like that sounds like a great Christmas song. So I did that. In fact, I hope Andy's not mad at me for covering that song. But, um, and then um, uh, "What a Wonderful World" has become a Christmas song, even though it's not technically, but it's probably my favorite song ever written. Okay. Yeah. Really. Song. Yeah. Well, it's got the dark, sacred night and the bright, blessed day. Yeah. No, it's got the. It's just a beautiful outlook on life and i feel like it's the outlook i want to have you know which is yeah. like there are parts of life and things of life that are terrible right yeah. like suffering yeah. is real and no one avoids it you know yeah. and uh but that doesn't we've for i don't know where down the line we've decided that that um cancels out the beauty of life you know the two are just two separate things and you i think that we can sort of decide which of those things we're gonna like have fellowship with what who are we going to make friends with like suffering is real but suffering doesn't have to dictate my life i i actually think that the beauty in life is greater than the suffering hmm. you know even yeah. the worst you think of the worst things i mean this is my personal view and it's really hard thing to say it's a harder thing to believe but it feels right to me is that even when you look at like things like the holocaust you look at the yeah. worst things that happen in human existence they're awful but i actually think the beauty in life and the goodness is actually greater, you know, mm -hmm. than those are awful, you know, so it doesn't yeah. make one less awful, but I just think that life is, is greater. And I actually think the reason we think things like the Holocaust are so bad is because life is so good, you know, that otherwise we wouldn't care if we died or anyone else died. If life mm -hmm. wasn't so beautiful, death would have no sting It'd have no, no, there'd be no strength or power in death. You know, if we, that, that sounds antithetical, sounds backwards, but you know, <laughs> the only reason death is so rough is because life is so good. And if life yeah. wasn't good, death really wouldn't be that bad, you know? Good, and man. so what a wonderful world. It's like, I can say that yeah. with an honest heart, even in the midst of 
who are some of your sources of uh, influence and inspiration? Either you know books that you you know you mentioned Richard Rohr a couple of times. Yeah. So maybe uh, writers, Christian Renan, or uh, or musicians. Like who 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 do you uh, draw your you know who who shapes you the most? Yep. I I love Springsteen and Dylan. Early on, they were the ones I sort of modeled my writing after. You know, when I was uh, okay. in my you know in my twenties. Um, uh, uh, Steinbeck. I love Steinbeck. Um, hmm. Stephen King. <laughs> I love those writers <laughs> as far as books go. Um, yeah. uh, as far as, you know, kind of theology goes, Dallas Willard is one of my personal favorites. I love Richard Rohr. I'm reading, um, well, there's a couple of books I'm reading now. I guess they don't count because I haven't finished reading them, but I've really enjoyed Brian Zahn. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Robert Capon is is great. I'm really loving him right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, Dallas Willard's one of my favorite. It's like, if you could yeah. take Dallas Willard and Richard Rohr, they're sort of like, <laughs> what's the two? It's not a Trinity. They're the Holy. Yeah. 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 They're my sort of two and Dylan Thomas. Okay. So here we go. Take Dallas Willard, yeah. Richard Rohr and Dylan Thomas. And, uh, you would kind of have, them. I'm not familiar with Dylan Thomas. He's the only guy you mentioned that. I don't know Who, who's, uh, yeah. So he, uh, Bob Dylan stole his name from Dylan Thomas. Dylan oh, Thomas, okay. writer and uh, um, poet. Okay. He's, in, he's English or Irish. Maybe he's Welsh, but um, I think he died kind of young. Okay. He's pretty dark, pretty heavy, but um, everybody steals from him. You okay. know, Bob Dylan, obviously, and a lot of the, those guys steal heavily from Dylan Thomas. But okay. um, yeah, but Dylan wrote that, uh, Dylan Thomas wrote that um, poem. Oh, gosh uh rage rage against the dying of the light oh yeah, yeah. okay oh yeah, yeah. And the inter interstellar you know uh, yeah, the beginning yeah. interstellar opens with that poem and you've heard it on football commercials and other places yeah. like that you know but that's yeah. okay oh cool man well dude i really appreciate your honesty and uh, i'm super excited for this podcast to come out i think uh yeah, I, I try to have a mix of uh, Christian thinkers, artists, uh, theologians, writers, and so on. So um, even the several I've recorded today, it's, it's a good broad range of, um, I had a Cambridge scholar on, then I had a, right. who works, uh, a friend of mine who works for Lifeway and is uh, a right. PhD, and then now you're you're bringing in the artistry side of this. So. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you, man. Really enjoyed this conversation. So uh, how can people look up your stuff? I mean, uh, do you have a website they go, they go, they go to or? Yep. JohnMartinMillen.com. And then you can find me on any of the socials under John Mark McMillan um, okay. on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Amazon, okay. all, you know, YouTube, all under John Mark. Thanks yeah. a lot, John. Appreciate you being on. Yeah. yeah bro. All right. Take care. All right. Peace. Yeah.